You're listening to Very Loose Women. Welcome, listeners. You are tuned in to Very Loose Women. We're not in the studio today. We're actually out in Rickmansworth. There's myself, and we've got Leo here as well. And then our guest is Juliet Fitzpatrick, who is the creator of the beautiful blog Blooming Cancer Living Flat and Recovery After Breast Cancer. Juliet's here and um, we'll be talking with her about her experiences um, living flat after a double mastectomy. But we're going to begin with celebrations of frustrations. We're all here to do that. I think I'll kick off. So every Saturday I have a yoga session. Because of Diwali, um, my yoga teacher wanted to hold a special meditation and I didn't realize you don't realize how difficult it is to concentrate when you're meditating and think no um, you lose your thoughts and you think no I'll bring myself back to the moment bring myself back I really I really enjoyed that process I just think meditation yoga it's always great I think my celebration is I'm going to a boxing series of matches tonight which is very unusual for me I've never seen boxing before and it starts very early in the evening and then it finishes at 11 30 so it's, I'm gonna have a lot of boxing today I think it's I'm not sure if it's a celebration or a frustration because I might hate it but I'm definitely excited about it I've got a celebration we are actually in the cafe in the park in Rickmansworth Acadrome and this is where I come and walk my dogs a lot and I know that around the lakes and down the canal there's a kingfisher and I've seen it uh, a few times and it's like just amazing when you see it. I hadn't seen it for a long time, but this week I was out walking with the dogs, felt a bit sad, a bit, um, you know, and all of a sudden there it was, this flash of blue, the sun shone on it, it did a little roll down the canal. So that was definitely my celebration because I hadn't seen it for a while and it made me feel really happy and cheered me up. So there you go. That's my favourite celebration. Yeah, I I think between all of us, the the special kingfisher is definitely up there. So today, of course, we're joined by Juliet, um, who is creator of the blog Blooming Cancer which is about her experience living flat after a double mastectomy. And Juliet also advocates for choice after mastectomy and volunteers for the charity Flat Friends. So Juliet, can you start by telling us a bit about your experience with cancer um, and how that led you to start your blog? Yeah, of course. I was first diagnosed with breast cancer in January 2016. It was in my left breast and it was picked up on a mammogram. It's my second routine mammogram. I hadn't had any signs or symptoms, so it was a complete shock to me. So that was January 16. I then um, started treatment. I had to have a lumpectomy, which is where they take a little bit of your breast away, where they think the tumour is. And unfortunately, they couldn't get all of the tumour out because it was bigger than they thought. They told me that I had to have a mastectomy, total mastectomy, which again was a mega shock to me. The thought of losing my breast was just um, yeah, unthinkable, really. I had the mastectomy in March 16. Yeah, that was an interesting uh, experience. And then after that, I had chemotherapy. I had to have a year's worth of this drug called Herceptin, which is given with an injection in your leg. And now I'm on tamoxifen. I had very large breasts when I was diagnosed. They were like about a 34 double G, so big. And I'm quite a little person. If you could see me, you'd see that I was quite small. And so they've always been a little big for me. 
And when I was just left with one of them, I found it very difficult. I got a prosthesis, which is made from silicon, from the NHS, which I could wear in my bra. But, you know, that was massive as well and quite uncomfortable. But I felt like I had to wear it because my other breasts needed support. And I decided that I didn't want to have reconstruction, even though the doctors and nurses, that's kind of the route that they push you down. They don't really tell you that there's the other option, which is not reconstructing. They kind of say, yeah, of course you'll have reconstruction, won't you? And I went, yeah, I will, because I didn't really think of it. I didn't know there was a different option. And they told me that the way that they would do it is this thing called a diet flap which is where they take fat from your stomach and transplant it up to your chest and fashion a breast-shaped lump of tissue or fat or whatever. And it was going to take about eight hours, this operation, because they have to connect all the vessels and the veins and the, everything up. So it sounded quite horrific to me and long, but they said, oh, don't worry, it's OK, because you'll have a tummy tuck. And I kind of went, OK, thanks for that. That's kind of, you know, I don't see how cosmetic surgery can be equated to this kind of surgery but I suppose that's another thing so anyway I went along with the idea but gradually as over the days and weeks I kind of thought no I don't want to do that I don't want to have a fake breast something that isn't part of me but well it is part of me but it's not a breast started googling because I had never I didn't know anyone with breast cancer and they hadn't said anything different so I googled does anybody who has a mistake to me not have reconstruction? And lo and behold, there are loads of women out there who don't reconstruct. And I found this group called Flat Friends on Facebook. And it's a closed group, joined them. They gave me loads of support and encouragement and kind of decided that, no, I was not going to have reconstruction. So I knew that I would be flat on the left side. And then I started thinking that actually I prefer to be totally flat because I was so lopsided. I didn't like looking at myself in the mirror. I preferred my scar to my breast. Started to ask my surgeon if he would remove my other breast. And that took a long time to persuade him to do that because he really, they didn't, they don't, most surgeons don't like to remove a healthy breast. So I kind of used the argument of symmetry and that I was young, I didn't want to live my life lopsided. Anyway, long story short, after 18 months, he agreed and he said, yeah, we will, I'll do it for you. So in November 2017, so just over a year ago, actually, I had my second mastectomy and yeah, I feel so much better with my body. I feel much more comfortable. The reason I started blogging was that I've got a very good friend who's a photographer. She supported me all through my whole breast cancer um, journey. So I'd said to her, when I've had my second mastectomy, be, I'd love it if you could do some photos of me topless. She wasn't phased by that at all. She said, yeah, that, that'd be good. So once my scars had healed, I kind of decided that I wanted to have it done. She came and did some photos with me at my home and I loved them. They were just brilliant pictures. And I just thought, well, what can I do with these? I want to get. I want to be able to raise the the profile, or and get it out there more that women are happy to live breast free. We don't need breasts. So that's when I thought, okay, I'm going to start blogging. Um, wrote my first blog about all, the, all that I've said. Um, put these photos on, and it went slightly bonkers. Well, for me, I mean, I think that like some other bloggers get huge amounts, but I got an amazing response from my friends, family, and people that I didn't know. 
Um, yeah, so that's how it happened. How did the choice to live flat change the way that you relate to how you see your body? As well as me liking my body more and feeling more comfortable moving, um, living and, and, and you know, looking at myself, um, it also made me feel better in my whole being, so my mind, my the way I feel, like I felt a real sense of empowerment, actually having made a positive choice to remove a part of my body because my first mastectomy was not my choice. I had to have that done, otherwise, you know, I would have died. There was no no option. So to be able to choose to do something positive for myself that would not only help the way that I looked, but also help the way that I felt was was amazing, you know, re- really empowering. You said, long story short, at one point. I wanted to hear a bit more about that story. So you went to him and you said 18 months later you, you could have what you wanted for your body. Yeah, so I started talking to my surgeon about having the other breast removed, I don't know, maybe three months after my first mistake to me. And everybody I spoke to about it were pretty positive, you know, saying positive. You know, and it was obviously my choice, but I, everybody said, yeah, I completely understand. Um, it sounds very reasonable. And yeah. So first time I went to my surgeon, I don't think he'd ever had anybody coming and asking that before. So he was like, no, we don't do that. It's not our policy to remove a healthy part of your body. And when you get breast cancer, everybody gets um, a specialist nurse, a breast care nurse, basically. She was really amazing with me, and she was actually incredibly encouraging and sort of really always supported me because she always came into all my appointments. I don't think she'd come across it before either. But she was, yeah, I think that's great. If that's what you want to do, then it really does make sense. Do you think that's because there's a different dynamic between the doctor being a male and the nurse being female and maybe a little bit of a deeper understanding on her part? I think that's possible. Yeah, I do, because being a woman, I think she probably would understand the amount of thought that I had gone through to reach my decision. And maybe she had a bit more empathy about my thoughts around my body and the fact that it must mean an awful lot to me to want to remove something that is an important part of me you know so yeah I think there's that but also I think as a surgeon I think all surgeons actually male or female have a really cut and bad choice of words but cut and dried way of thinking about surgery and bodies you know they want to cut out a bad thing or make a bad thing better I think they have to be very clinical and, and I don't think he understood you know I just don't think he got the fact that this was going to help me I think all he could see was that no why would you want to lose a bit of your body that is healthy that has not gone wrong you know so I think that was where he was coming from you know every uh, checkup that I went to with him I asked again um, and he, I think he was slowly coming to understand it. And I do remember that when he agreed, just a routine appointment. So every time I went, he always examined my right breast to make sure that was okay and felt my scar and made sure that was all right as well. And I remember sitting on the side of the bed, top, you know, with my top off, and my breast was like, you know, just there, flopping down as it always did, really big. 
And I just kind of said to him, look, why do you think I would like to live like this for the rest of my life? You know, look at me. It's not comfortable. It's not, I don't like it, you know. And I think at that point, the penny dropped and he went, yeah, okay. And I emphasised all the time the symmetry that I wanted. I wasn't really um, worried about recurrence because I was being told that my prognosis is good, you know, and so I'm not really worried about that, but it was the symmetry. And he said yes, he got his diary out, which was great, and actually, you know, it made an appointment for me there and then. I think it was about six weeks um, in the future, and yeah, that was it. In essence, you had to sort of convince him, and the 18 months was, your work was convincing him, there weren't any sort of other barriers to that happening? At the time, no, there weren't any other barriers. I think there are now, actually. I think that now um, some of the um, CCGs, they are now putting in restrictions on balancing surgery. So from having a look at your blog, Juliet, um, there's the impression that your experiences led you to reconsider preconceived ideas of what it means to be a woman. Um, could you tell us a bit more about those ideas and how, how you reconsidered them? Well, I mean, first and foremost, I feel like I don't need breasts to be a woman still. You know, breasts are so sexualized, I think, in uh, especially in, well, in the West, all over the world. I mean, they're kind of in your face, aren't they? I don't feel like I need them to, to be a woman. They, for me, they did a really great job for me. I fed my kids. Um, and that's, a, that's another thing, isn't it, breastfeeding? But I fed my kids for a year. They've done what, what I wanted them to do. Okay, I did miss them, I suppose, in a sexual way because, you know, they were stimulating thing um, but I don't need them there are other things that you can do um, and I certainly feel feminine I feel like a woman I I feel actually stronger as a woman since I've made that choice to remove my breasts or since I made the choice to remove my right breast like I said I feel really empowered by that and I think I just the strength that I've got from it has led me on to do other things that I would never have thought about doing, you know, like talking to you guys. I, I would have really shied away from that. Um, I've done various photo shoots. Well, yeah, I've, I've done the behind the scars shoots. I've also done a couple of photo shoots for Good Housekeeping. I did one before I had my breasts removed, which was all about a new year, new you. They dyed my hair pink. I've got white hair. They dyed my hair pink. And that was, all, that was talking about cancer as well. But then after I'd had my second mastectomy and I'd done my blog and I had my photos I actually pitched them the idea of doing another story about me as a flat woman and they said yes which was like wow I'm really amazed they did a feature on me for the uh, October issue which was breast cancer awareness month and they put in a topless photo which I was really really happy about because it's a big yeah it's a massive magazine um, and I'm not sure they had had anyone top, flat and topless in there. So, but I would never have, I wouldn't have felt confident to be able to do that. In your blog, you also write a lot about gardening, how flowers and gardening have helped you throughout your experience. Why do you enjoy gardening so much? What does it give you? Well, um, it's a kind of a cliche, but it's um, for me seeing. I grow a lot of plants and flowers from seed, so actually. 
I love the time where you look, well, I put a little tiny seed, I mean, they're tiddly, um, into the ground, and then you see a shoot coming up. So it's a cliche, but shoots of life and sort of how nature works to kind of heal, well, heal me, but also to make all these amazingly beautiful flowers grow out of a tiny little seeds. And I find that a bit awe-inspiring, actually. I always liked gardening, but I was never, I never did that kind of thing. I never grew things from seed, but what happened was that um, I was going to go to Chelsea Flower Show with my mum, um, and I bought her, present, her tickets for a Christmas present. And that was before I was diagnosed with cancer. And it turned out that one of my chemo sessions was two days before we were going to the show. So I felt like I wouldn't be able to go because I'd be too tough, but you know, too tired. So I couldn't go to, to this thing, which I'd always look forward to. And my husband, Liam, he did this amazing thing, actually. He put a call out on Facebook and texts all my friends and family and said, look, she can't go to Chelsea. Could you send me a packet of seeds? And I want to give her Chelsea at home, basically. She's very sweet and lovely of him. And anyway, so on the day that I was going, meant to be going to Chelsea, I came downstairs and there were loads of seeds, plants, gardening things. Like everybody had been so amazing and sent lots of stuff, which was really lovely. Anyway, I couldn't do much with them then because I was a bit wiped out from cancer, but I started thinking about what I would do with these because I thought I can't not use them because everyone's been so kind. So the following spring, I decided I would have a plant sale. So I thought I'd sow some seeds, hopefully they'd grow into plants, and I would have a plant sale for my local cancer centre because uh, I'd got loads of support from them. I didn't really know much about it, but I started reading a bit about cut flower growing because I decided I'd be a cut flower farmer. Right, yeah, I knew nothing about that, but hey, sounds like a good idea. In my garden, it's not a very big garden, but we dug up a bit of grass. So I started sowing these seeds in my little, in some trays, and put them in this um, plastic pop-up greenhouse that I bought. It was a big plastic, yeah, you could walk into it. Sowed them all, labelled them. It was great, everything was fantastic. And then about two weeks later, there was a you know, big storm. <laughs> my plastic greenhouse blew away <laughs> and got destroyed and all the seed trays like blew all over the place and everything came out and I didn't know what was what so I scooped them all up again anyway they grew these flowers grew which is amazing you know it's like wow they're so resilient and sort of and uh, I had I had my plant sale make money people came and bought them and I thought yeah this is brilliant so then during the summer I started sowing more and more and I had a lovely patch of, of cut flowers, which I grew for myself. I didn't grow to sell them. And then this summer just gone, I did more. Um, I dug up more grass and planted more flowers. And it's just kind of gone on from there, really. Um, and, and I love it. I didn't have to buy any flowers this summer at all for my house. I just kept going out and cutting. Uh, where, where are we right now? So we are in Rickmansworth Aquadrome, which is a sort of local nature reserve. And there are three lakes and they do water skiing and windsurfing and um, sailing. So there is another thing that you talk about in not liking the language 
of cancer treatment. They're kind of fighting cancer, when you win the battle, and you know, the very warlike language. Why do you think that's not so helpful, or what could we, what could we replace it with? Mm, I'm not sure about replacing a bit. I have to think about that. Um, but I didn't. I never found that helpful at all because, as far as I was concerned, if you, when somebody dies from cancer, they don't lose the battle. They didn't. You know, they didn't give up because to me, if you lose the battle, it implies that you gave up or that you failed, or that um, you didn't try hard enough. You didn't fight hard enough. You know, some people die of cancer because they were unlucky. They had a very aggressive form of cancer and not all cancers can be cured. Um, I mean, I was really lucky in that my cancer was caught early enough and um, my prognosis is really good. So I feel lucky. Other people, for instance, there's a, a woman that I talked to over social media called Rachel Bland who died in the summer. She was really unlucky because her breast cancer was very aggressive and none of the drugs worked with her. But she didn't lose her battle. She sadly died. And I just think if we could get away from battling and fighting and war metaphors and just say, you know, this person died from cancer, mm. it would be a lot more helpful. But I'm, I wonder whether people are scared of saying the die word. And that's why people have to come up with metaphors um, about the end of somebody's life. So the other, the other thing that um, I dislike is when people say to me when I was going through the treatment, oh, you were so brave, you know, you were so brave you, to go out with no hair or you were so brave to deal with having chemo. But, you know, I, I, just, I, I never thought I was brave and I don't, didn't like people telling me I was brave because I was just doing whatever I had to do to get through the treatment and that was just day to day, you know, that was just waking up, going to chemo, and just getting on with it and for me that was not brave that was just doing what I had to do. Can you tell us a little bit about your advocacy work for Living Flat? So I started sort of advocating about women, well people's choice to choose their treatment after mastectomy after my experience of being funneled down the route of reconstruction and so as I said before I felt like I didn't have a choice. I, the choice, not, all the options weren't given to me. So off, when I was told I needed a mastectomy, it was, you need a mastectomy, we'll give you a reconstruction. And that was what I was told. And I found out myself that um, the other choice was not to have reconstruction, but to stay flat. And it seemed to me that loads of women get the same experience. Um, they are not given all of the options after mastectomy and so they can't make an informed choice because they don't have all the information. So along with Flat Friends, um, I started, um, decided that as part of my blog and as part of my work with charities, I would um, try and speak out about that and try and get medical professionals to think about what they offer to patients when they are told that they need a mastectomy. Um, so I, that was part of my Good Housekeeping um, magazine and I managed to get onto BBC Radio 5 Live uh, to talk about the whole choice and options after mastectomy. I was a guest editor on a, um, uh, in September on a lunchtime show and we had a really good discussion about this whole advocacy stuff 
you know, choices, options. We had me, another flat friend, there was a breast surgeon there, and also a, um, a woman that had had reconstruction. And we had a great conversation about, you know, why it's a woman's right to choose, whether they choose to stay flat or whether they choose to reconstruct. They, you know, I don't, I have not a problem with anybody that wants to reconstruct their breasts, but it's just that I wasn't given that choice and so many other women are not given the choice to choose, the choice to choose. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and how can our listeners get in touch? Um, so I have a blog called bloomingcancer.co.uk. Um, I'm also uh, pretty active on Instagram. You just search for me, Juliet Fitzpatrick, Twitter. If you do a Google search, actually, you'll come up with quite a lot of newspaper articles. I've talked about loads of different cancer stuff. Um, Sounds great. You have been listening to Very Loose Women on Resonance 104.4 FM. You can find us online on Twitter at VLW Radio, as well as on Instagram. On Facebook, we're Very Loose Women. You can listen to previous episodes of our show um, on Acast, which is acast.com forward slash Very Loose Women. And on Apple Podcasts, you just, again, just search Very Loose Women. (laughs) This episode was produced by Nikki Carter, um, Leonor Sheik and Solio Aparicio. Um, the audio engineering was done by Leo and editing was done by Soda and Leo. Thank you very much, listeners, and we'll see you next time.